heroes. Every kid has some kind of hero in their mind. I never really had a hero as a child. I always would, somebody asked me who my hero is, and I would say Donald Duck, <laughs> just, to, just to give something, you know. I remember your son always saying Batman a million times. Batman, Batman, Mommy, Batman. Obviously, they really like Batman. There was something heroic about that character. I believe today, out of all of the generations up until this point, has a very distorted view about what a hero is. There is too much emphasis put on the words of people who I frankly believe are complete idiots and shouldn't offer opinions on anything. They can barely tie their shoes and they make all of their money pretending to be someone else or playing a game. Very few of them actually have any, any experience at all in the real world dealing with real things. Now, there are some that are uh, extremely heroic that have made it. Our own Deshaun Watson from our, from our community. What a great example. And he's made it to the big leagues. Work done, one of our old Falcon players. His mom was a Louisiana cop, they got killed. He uh, uh, ends up building homes and providing for officers, families that have died. He's a hero. But so many other folks. I mean, really, you're gonna put in faith in something that um, Miley Cyrus or Kim Kardashian or folks that want to go the whole climate change route, fine, if you want to believe in that, and if you want to go that way, fine, but don't live in a 6,000 square foot mansion and fly around in private jets and then tell me that I can't have a cow because of methane production. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's kind of inappropriate for the pulpit, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, cow methane. That's just a polite way of saying something. Um, well, anyways, heroes. I've often thought about that. Who are the people that I look up to? Who are the heroes that I've had in my life or that I would want to be like? Because that's kind of the definition of a hero, is somebody that has done something that you wish you could do or follow their example to improve your life to do the great things that they have done. Now there is a movement to lift up our soldiers and our police officers and our firefighters and, and the quiet, unsung people that work in charities that don't have half-million-dollar salaries when they're supposed to be taking care of the poor, those quiet folks. There's no reason that the person who runs, um, oh, can't believe I just forgot this ministry. Good news at noon in Gainesville. Good news at noon, I serve. Um, shouldn't be as famous as the CEO of Goodwill who's making hundreds and thousands of dollars. The unsung heroes. My definition of what a hero should be has changed 
as I have aged and I have suffered and I have grown and I have celebrated to know really what the qualities of a hero should be. The first guy that I planned to do this at the movies thing with and, and about uh, was a guy named Hugh Glass. Um, you need to look him up, the story about The Revenant. It's an incredible movie, not child appropriate, and I discovered I could not find a single appropriate <laughs> scene from that movie to use as a clip, so I had to back up. Uh, in the middle of the week and say, oh no, which one can I do? So I settled on this one, Hacksaw Ridge. Now that sounds like a horror movie, uh, and in some aspects it kind of is, but it is about perhaps someone who I consider to be a true hero. I want to introduce you to Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was a skinny uh, Virginia man who couldn't quite get into the army. And then when he got into the army, they didn't want him because he was a conscientious objector. He wanted to go onto the battlefield as a medic, but he did not want to carry a weapon. Uh, so he was a complete pacifist. In different thoughts on war in Christian circles, we have different, uh, different theories about how war should be carried out. One is complete pacifism, no fighting, no violence at all. Um, another is, you know, kind of righteous anger, where people let their anger go loose and wipe things out. Then there's just war theory, just war founded uh, by St. Augustine, where um, sometimes you have to go to war to um, beat the greater evil, such as World War II. Could you imagine what the world would have been like if the United States, Canada, and Australia had not decided to enter that conflict? The world would have been divided up between Japan and Germany. And those were not good people. So we had to do that. Lives had to be sacrificed in order to save the world in some aspects. So this is about a World War II hero, Desmond Doss, a conscious ejector who went onto the battlefield facing incredible odds after he was allowed to go onto the battlefield, who was made fun of by his fellow soldiers because he didn't carry a weapon and they were scared that they were gonna get killed because he wasn't carrying a weapon to protect them. And he ends up being one of the bravest men to come out of any conflict in history because of his faith in God. And he made a huge difference to the lives of all the men that he saved. You see, he won a Congressional Medal of Honor he stayed on top of a ridge at night to start rescuing his fellow soldiers and even Japanese soldiers who were injured and, and his fellow soldiers didn't like that as he was lowering the injured Japanese over the cliff they were thinking why why is he trying to save them it was because he placed value on all life even to the point of loving his enemy He's an incredible man. There is way too much to talk about, uh, about him in just a short period of time that we have. Uh, but you need to investigate him. Desmond Doss, his, um, uh, the documentary on him is called The Conscious Objector by 
uh, about his life and then this major movie that was made about his actions on Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa. Uh, that's where you find your, your most interesting um, and quick uh, aspects about him. And one of the things that I decided to do after he, after I learned about Desmond Doss is I wanted to read the, the biography that his wife helped him to write about his, uh, his life and his adventures. And so I ordered one through Georgia Pines. And I did not know this about him, but I've been driving by his house for years. He moved to Rising Fawn, Georgia, a place where I did a lot of caving and my ancestors are from, back to the Fox Indians in, in that area. And uh, so I've been driving by this fellow's house, just a little, little house in Rising Fawn, Georgia, and didn't even know it. But I ended up getting the book from Georgia Pines, and I was excited to start reading it. And I opened it up, and it had been signed by him. And it was just one of those neat, bone-chilling kind of experiences to hold something that somebody so humble and so brave and so full of God had in his hands that to me some of the greatest and most well-known people in all of Christendom cannot even compare to. What the hell is your delay, Captain? We're waiting, sir. Waiting for what? Private Doss. Who the hell is Private Doss? dream about being a doctor, but I uh, didn't get much school. I can't stay here while all them go fight for me. But you figure this war is just going to fit in with your ideas? While everybody else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. That's going to be my way to serve. This is a personal gift from the United States government designed to bring death to the enemy. Well, I'm sorry, Sergeant. I can't touch a gun. She don't kill. No, sir. You know, quite a bit of killing does occur in war. Private Doss does not believe in violence. Do not look to him to save you on the battlefield. I don't think this is a question of religion. I think this is cowardice. I'll fall in love with you because you are like anyone else. You're saying you could go to prison. I don't know how I'm going to live with myself if I don't stay true to what I believe. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. Private Doss, you are free to run into the hellfire of battle without a single weapon to protect yourself. I'm gonna get you home. Who did this? That's the coward. We have to go back up tomorrow. And they're not gonna go up there without you. Help me. You'll have to trust me. You better come home to me. Please, Lord. Help me get one more. Help me get one more. Hear now the word of God from 
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls to his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. Most holy and gracious God, fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth may not be the ramblings of a mortal man, but may carry a ring of eternity, and be in the minds and the hearts of the congregation as I meditate upon your word. Amen. The quiet work of the people leaving the crowd. Desmond Doss was one who left the 99 to go and find the lost sheep on his own by himself under the hail of enemy fire and was not injured until the very last day of that particular battle. I must confess that during my time in seminary and when I was a younger man, there was a major emphasis on growing very large churches. That was the emphasis of the church planting program out of which Arbor Point came out of. At the time that I was going through church planting school, almost 20 years ago now, it's been that long. And we measured ourselves by how quickly we could grow a place. And what we found out is only a few churches really will grow large. And there's a lot of pastors who don't want to serve the small or the smaller or the medium because there's that idea of glory in your head. Everybody has it. Uh, you know, how do we measure success? I had to have a humbling moment in my life with what it meant. I, I thought, and this came out of from a district superintendent who told me when I was leaving my small church charge in Washington, Georgia, my DS told me, Andy, I just feel like your talents are being wasted here. You know, at that point in my life, I was a young man, mid-20s, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to get a raise, I'm going to get a bigger church. And I really didn't reflect upon what that phrase meant in the environment that I work in uh, as far as the annual conference, as far as making disciples. I have a dear friend. Gosh, he's 85 years old now. He was with me at uh, the Calhoun Church, Philip Harold. He became a grandfather to my children and a dear friend to me 
while I was there in a small congregation in rural Gordon County. And the whole time I was still thinking, I don't belong in this smaller church. I belong in larger churches. And I'm not here. And then I reflected upon my friendship that developed out of Philip Harold. And he will credit me to this day as being the person who drew him to the church, that discipled him into growing into a better Christian, to help him where he is today in his walk. And I had to step back and say, maybe my whole purpose in life was to help Philip Harold develop a deeper faith, a deeper walk with God. And there was no reason that Philip Harold didn't deserve a pastor that had talents and gifts and abilities and things like that. It's not about making sure that, that the multitudes who are already in the shelter survive. It's about going out and getting that one lost person at a time to bring them in so that they can encounter the safe havens of God when they've been living on the battlefield of the world and they need to know that somebody really cares. And through the, that person, they learn that God really cares about them. I started thinking about all the other people that I've met just one-on-one -on -one and how my small interaction with them might have made a difference in their life. And then I think about the people that, that were that for me. And most of those encounters weren't made in the large churches, even though I grew up in one of the fastest growing churches in Methodism in the 80s, most of those encounters were made outside of it by people willing to come and help a troubled kid. And all the rejoicing that goes on when those people come in to the fold. Going out and looking for that one. Leaving the 99 and going and finding the one. Sometimes you just have to go after just one more. Just one more. And not chase the glory of the crowd.
We got you. We got you. Please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. Help me get one more. Just that one more. Now that's a powerful statement. Lord, help me just get that one more. We have the image of, of the one leaving the 99 to go and rescue all those others. I believe he single-handedly pulled off 75 people that night by himself and lowered it down over the escarpment there. But I want you to add a little bit of a twist to this scripture. What if the 99 decided to go with the one who went looking? What if the 99 decided to leave the comfort of where they were at and go looking with the shepherd to find that one other sheep? All that could be done, all those that could be rescued, all those that could be brought in because not only is the one person looking, but then the whole group is too. The whole flock of sheep are on the search, on the rescue mission to bring those in. Just one more. What if that was your mantra? Just one more. Help me get just one more. My most powerful God moments in my ministry 
would seem to be the days that people would look at it, the days that maybe I got to preach to thousands of people. That's an ego boost, but not necessarily the most powerful moment. My most powerful moments in the ministry did not come when I received an award from the conference or got published or, or anything along those lines. My most powerful moments came when I listened to the call of God, felt his strength and power that would lead me into a position that I didn't think I probably should have been in, like going into a meth head's trailer to pull him out of it, going into a hospital room where somebody is very sick, stepping in between people that were about to have a royal fist fight and getting them to calm down in my robe. That's always fun. I've had those karate preacher moments on several occasions in my robe. I'm tougher than I look. <laughs> a little meaner sometimes too. But those moments came without accolade. But God was there more than any other time. And I came out of those only sharing those stories with a very few people. My kids ask me often, as well as the other pastor's kids who are effective, why do people always stop and talk to you in the store and you don't leave? Why did they bring you that? Why did they bring you those homemade, or those homemade pies and those fresh tomatoes? Why are they coming over here and doing that? You didn't ask them. It's because there's a certain amount of gratitude uh, when you feel like somebody's done something for you and want to repay them. And I always tell folks, don't do that. Just, just a messenger. Now, I enjoy the, the homegrown tomatoes and I enjoy the gifts you give, but you don't have to do that. I do the same thing. If I feel like somebody has um, done great, a great thing for me and pulled me out, I, I try to reward them with whatever I can to show how much my appreciation is. And there's this gratitude aspect that kind of goes along with it. I've got a, a very gregarious um, friend in the ministry who is an excellent pastor as well. And his daughter on social media a couple of days ago said, Happy birthday to this man. I used to always get upset when we would go to a store and somebody would run into my father and they would talk for an hour. Or I'd always get upset when we'd go anywhere, including other cities or other countries, and somebody would run into my dad. Now, this man is not one of the most famous pastors in our conference, but he knew somebody everywhere because he'd been such a great pastor. He'd had lots of friends, and he had lots of people that cared about him, and they always wanted to talk to him. And his daughter said, now as I'm older, I am so thankful to understand the work that God did through my father and the gratitude people are showing him by their continued work for God. So people, when they see what you do, also want to do those things. You may not be running into, uh, into battle like Desmond Doss and pulling people off of ridges, but you may be going into a rehab facility or I serve, or going down the street uh, to a family that's having difficulties and helping them solve their problems. 
You may not be able to do things physically, but you help somebody out financially, quietly, without accolade. You, by doing those things, help grow the kingdom of God. Before Desmond Doss um, rescued all those folks off of the ridge that night, he was made fun of and ridiculed by his fellow soldiers. Even though he'd shown his faith, they made fun of him because he would not work on the Sabbath. But after that night, his faith had made such a great example that they would no longer go into battle without the man who refused to carry a gun. I saw was a skinny kid. I didn't know who you were. You've done more than any other man could have done in the service of his country. Now I've never been more wrong about someone in my life. I hope one day you can forgive me. There's nothing short of a miracle. And they want a piece of it. And they're not going to go up there without you. What the hell is your delay, Captain? You're supposed to begin that assault 10 minutes ago. We're waiting, sir. Waiting for what? Private Doss to finish praying for us, sir. Private Doss is praying for you. Who the hell is Private Doss? Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Desmond Doss is not only my hero, not only a hero of humanity, but he is a hero of the faith. And we should all strive to be like
was praying the whole time. I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get one more. When I got this, I said, Lord, please help me get one more. I would say anyone is wrong to try to compromise somebody's conviction. I don't care whether it's army or what it is. When you're under conviction, that is not a joke. That's what you are. Even though I said those things to him in regard to carrying a rifle, then then he would never be my by my damn side at all unless he had a rifle. But then uh, in the long run, finding out that he was one of the bravest persons alive. And then to have him end up saving my life was the irony of the whole thing. Blood had run down into the fellow's face and eyes. He was laying there just groaning, cough a medic. I took water from my canteen and got some bandage, and I washed his face. And when that blood was washed from his eyes, eyes came up, man, he just lit up. He says, I thought I was blind. And if I hadn't got anything more toward that smile he gave me, I'd have been well repaid. 